Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us because here we are moving through the year very rapidly. (laughs) We're into the eighth month of the year, and there's all kinds of things we need to be doing in the landscape this time of year. And really, all times of year, there's something you can be doing. There's always something. I know that. You've got weeds to pull. That's pretty much all year long. You know, when it comes to fertilizing, we're getting close to sort of the end of our fertilizing period. I would go ahead and fertilize some things this weekend and then plan to give at least a small dose, but a final dose of fertilizer a month from now. Sometime around Labor Day. That's really the last time that we should, for most of the South, probably be fertilizing. Of course, there are plenty of folks gardening very far south, maybe into the pan, uh, the peninsula of Florida. Now, those folks can garden pretty much all year long. Go to Miami, you got it going. <laughs> but... For those of us who uh, always have some kind of winter weather, we want to make sure that we are fertilizing at least six weeks, or I should say no later than six weeks before our average first frost. Now for maybe many of you, like in my situation, our average first frost is usually around the middle of October. Now that may have <laughs> may be on the way of changing because our summers are just staying longer. But uh, anyhow, we'll use October 15th because that's what history says as the first frost of the year. Now, if we track back six weeks before October 15th, it's about Labor Day, the 1st of September. So just as a rule, If you're going to do some fertilizing, go ahead and do it now. Plants will enjoy it. And don't go any further than uh, Labor Day or so. Mainly because if we give fertilizer too late in the season, then what is surely going to happen is the plants will grow. They will be stimulated to grow. They'll put out new leaves, new foliage. But they need six weeks for that new growth to harden off. And if that new growth is not hardened off before a first frost comes, then that new growth was for nothing. It will just get zapped back and it will die back. So it won't damage, it won't harm the plant, but it will damage the new growth. So it's almost like what's the point of wasting the fertilizer if it's too close to a frost and new growth is going to get zapped back. So I sort of got off on a tangent here. I was just 
uh, starting off by saying we always have something to do in the landscape. There's always plenty to do. Today, I want to give you a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of ideas, Some talk about some plants uh, that can work very well in the landscape. We, we've not really discussed this topic at much detail yet, but I have throughout the years that uh, you've been joining me here in New Southern Garden. Uh, I have been giving little uh, bits and pieces of this topic, and that is basically ornamental grasses. So today we're talking about great ornamental grasses for the landscape. Now, most of the time when we say grasses, we think of lawn. And we've talked about lawn before. We're not talking about lawn grasses. We're talking about those grasses that have plumage, right? <laughs> Maybe like a peacock's feathers. Uh, plants that are pushing nice feathery foliage up into the air, contrasting well. They may have a blossom. We're going to talk about many that have a great blossom, and they have fall color. There's many reasons why we would grow ornamental grasses. So, yes, when we say grasses, we could refer to a lot of different things. Uh, the whole group of grasses, uh, there's uh, well, of course, your lawn, the Bermuda grass, the zoysia grass, the fescue grass, those are all grasses. Uh, the grasses we'll talk about today, there are other plants we use in the landscape that are related to grasses, such as the banana plant, a banana tree, if you will. Uh, palm trees are related to grasses. They grow like grasses. Uh, then, let's see, what else do we have that may surprise you? Yeah, bamboo. Nobody's really growing bamboo. It's probably wild, uh, but taking over certain areas in your your town but bamboo is in that uh, grass-like family so there are plenty of strange plants that you normally wouldn't think of as being eh, grasses but they're related to grasses uh, some of the key characteristics that grasses have is that they don't really make branches now they make stems what we call stems but they don't really branch so you see like oak trees and maple trees and hydrangeas and gardenias. They have a stem that branches into more stems and those stems into more stems and more stems and more stems. We don't have that stemming. It's basically um, growth from a central point down low in the plant. So <clears throat> if you're looking at, uh, say, uh, say at the banana plant, you can chop a banana plant to the ground any time of the year and it will continue to grow because its main growing point is down near the roots. It's like this little, it's sort of like a heart, like a heart down at the, uh, we call it the crown, but down at the crown of the plant where the roots separate from the shoots, right in the middle, well protected, is the growing point of that plant. Now, those bushes and trees we talked about, like oaks, maples, hydrangeas, gardenias, those have a ton of growing points on those tips of the branches, and that's how they can send off more shoots and get larger and taller. But the grasses, or any plant that is a monocot, or in the grass-like plant group of plants, they grow from the center outwards. So you've got this strong center point at the bottom that pushes up through the center of the plant and out on the top comes new leaves. So what we're left with is a very vertical plant. But you may have clusters of these stems that are very vertical. And that's the beauty that ornamental grasses provide. If you just had one stem going straight up in the air of one of these ornamental grasses, it would not look impressive. But what we're talking about today are grasses that clump these stems 
stems together. Of course, their growing points are held real tightly down at the base, the crown of that clump of grasses. And they're sending off these beautiful feathery foliage into the sky, giving us texture and color all year long, pretty much. And uh, of course, they're giving us structure. So there's a lot of things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, some individual plants. And along the way, I'm going to throw in some breakaway discussions. We're going to talk about the seasonal changes that most grasses go through. So you can see how a grass can make a statement. Spring, summer, fall, winter, any time of the year. Then we're going to talk a little bit uh, throughout our discussion on these plants about designing with these grasses and how to uh, use them to their best effect. And then we'll throw in uh, some discussion on maintaining these ornamental grasses. So we've got a big show, a lot to look forward to. And I do want to remind you that if you're just joining us for the very first time here on New Southern Garden, we'd like to welcome you to our garden, welcome you to our New Southern Garden community. Uh, If you do not already know, we We have a website where every show that you hear on your hometown radio, that's WRWH 93.9 FM, every episode you hear uh, here live is going to be posted onto that website, NewSouthernGarden.com. And of course, you can find every episode of the program on your podcasting apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, the list goes on and on. You will find us there and you can listen to older shows on demand wherever you have an internet connection. So the very first grass today that we want to talk about is going to be, but actually we're going to talk about a list of native grasses. Now I'm going to preface this because there are plenty of ornamental grasses that are not from our, uh, not from our area, the Southeast United States. Uh, Some of these grasses spread across North America. Some of them are distinct to the Southeast. Um, But There are plenty of ornamental grasses from other parts of the world that should be considered, and we're going to consider a couple of those uh, at later in today's program. But I do always like to start off with native grasses or native plants because these native grasses actually are very good pollinator plants. Plenty of butterflies, bees, uh, flies, wasps, you name it, can use these native grasses uh, as a source of their life cycle. Some of them, some of these pollinators may use the leaves to lay their babies on and their babies consume the leaves so that you've got new crops and generations of butterflies and pollinators and some may actually be attracted to Uh, the flowers, because plenty, most all grasses, are going to be flowering. They're going to produce some kind of flower. It may not be showy to us, but it can be very delicious and very important as a food source for many pollinators. Then, of course, those grass seeds, uh, sorry, those grass flowers turn into seeds, and there are plenty of birds, particularly, I see goldfinches, they go crazy for little tiny seeds on all kinds of plants. Black-eyed Susans, thistles, coneflowers, uh, you name it, they love little tiny seeds. And plenty of birds can also use these uh seed pods that these plants produce, these grasses produce as a food source. And then, of course, having a grouping of grasses is a great coverage. It's great coverage for uh, birds and other wildlife to hide in and to feel safe, maybe even make a home in. So there are many reasons why we would want to use native grasses. And the first one I want to talk about today is the muley grass. Uh, 
Muhlenbergia. Yes, that's right. Muhlenbergia. There's two plants in the plant world I get confused because they sound the same, but this is Muhlenbergia. Capillaris, terrible botanical name, but we like the muley grass because it has very fine foliage that only tops out about uh, two to three foot tall. I have seen some very productive plants get up to the four foot range, but if you're looking for a small ornamental grass, uh, the muley grass is definitely one to look for. Now, throughout the summer, sort of has this blue-green foliage with really tiny, fine leaves. Very attractive, very structural. Then, very late in the summer, it's nearly fall before this plant blooms. But the muley grass is distinctive for a cloud. Sometimes I refer to it as a cotton candy flower because it is a cloud of soft, pink, beautiful flowers. They are very small, fiber optic like, and they just fill the air, fill that space above the plant with this soft pink color, which in the late summer, early fall when they're blooming, you know, the way the lighting happens uh, how, as the sun gets lower after summer has uh, <laughs> near its end, the sun is lower, the light is shining through those, if you plant them in just in the right spot, you get light shining through either early in the morning or in the late afternoon, and it's just making that pink glow, and it's this soft glow throughout the garden. Very beautiful, and it's wonderful because it is a great source uh, for pollinators late in the year, which many plants don't bloom as late as muley grass, but because nothing really blooms as late as muley grass, it gives you something to enjoy before fall comes. It's definitely a plant that ushers in fall, and again, with its small size, only about uh, two to, I'll say two to four feet. Really, three to four is probably where it is, uh, but I have seen some small uh, plants uh, in, in landscape. So very, very tight and compact. You know, back in the old day, about uh, 20, 30 years ago, <clears throat> we were using a lot of pompous grass, and pompous grass was the thing to grow. Well, those plants get very tall, maybe 10 feet tall in one season. And, of course, their leaves are like small serrated knives. This is not a plant like that. Super soft and small. It does not get big. It does not get big. So, I think Eden Rose might tell you... Give it a go! ...to give muley grass a go. But if you want some more ideas of some great ornamental grasses for your landscape, hang on tight because we've got plenty to come after this break. See you shortly. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Give it a go! 
Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about some plants that have, I think, been underappreciated a bit. There's sort of a resurgence to use them, but I'm glad that uh, that people are starting to find these plants because they provide so many wonderful characteristics in the garden, which we're going to talk about shortly. Of course, we're talking about ornamental grasses. Now, before the break, I was mentioning one of the most popular ornamental grasses from several decades ago, which recently, people still ask for it, people still ask for it, but recently, we've sort of, we're sort of getting over it. In the past few years, we're sort of over big, uh, cumbersome grasses, like uh, pompous grass. Pompous grass was used heavily in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, and finally people said, enough, these grasses get so big, they're bulky, our landscapes are really not big enough to handle them, and of course, they have those very serrated, uh, very sort of spiky <laughs> uh, leaves, if you will. They'll just chew your hands up as you're working in them. So now, today, I'm, I want to encourage you to use grasses that may be a good bit smaller than that, and of course, have a soft foliage, something that is not going to be detrimental uh, in order to get in there and work with them. So we were talking about muley grass before the break, which is a great native grass and another native grass that there are several varieties of now is called little blue stem little blue stem is um, uh, another like i said wonderful native grass that actually stays pretty small we would expect 36 inches tall uh, maybe 40 just a little bit but we're not going to nearly get to four foot tall so they're tighter Uh, and also they're fairly upright kind of narrow because they may go 18 to 24 inches in diameter or width so you've got two feet by three feet so kind of a vertical upright plant which works very well especially if you have ground covers so they can crawl around it without this grass shading them too much a big kind of uh, fountain-like grass now this is more upright and vertical now Of the little blue stems, there are a couple that we've been growing at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But I've really been finding that these are some wonderful little blue stems. First of all, let's talk about a little blue stem called Blaze. Blaze, just like the name suggests, has a wonderful dark purple, red, deep orange uh, color in the fall. Now, throughout the year, the blaze is a fairly green uh, with maybe sort of some uh, purple tips. So it really is attractive. Uh, But then the blaze really stands out in the fall when we see absolutely gorgeous fall color. So be sure that if you're looking to make a statement in a season where not a lot is going on in the landscape... Think about this ornamental grass, the blaze, as well as its sister plant. There's another little blue stem called Prairie Blues. Prairie Blues, wonderful name. And it is, I think, maybe one of my favorite little blue stems. I'll tell you why. Because it does have great foliage color. In the fall, the Prairie Blues turns a bronze-orange color. So, Maybe not as brilliant of a fall color as the blaze, but the reason this grass is called prairie blues is because it is a very beautiful gray-green, blue-green color through spring and summer. 
So if you want that ashy color in the landscape, which to me looks great with purple flowering plants, also looks good with yellows and even oranges, uh, really that blue color, it just stands out with almost anything. Looks good with whites too. But Prairie Blues uh, has a beautiful blue-green color in the summer. And then as we get into late summer, it has these very sort of dark blossoms. They're really, if you look close, a deep purple plume. Deep purple plume, which then that late summer plume leads us into its fall color with bronze and orange. So between uh, the blaze or sorry, blaze and prairie blues, little blue stem grasses. These are very small, tight grasses that can really accentuate some of those other flowering plants like dahlias and shasta daisies, uh, coneflowers, you name it. These grasses will give you a beautiful look. Now, I do want to talk about, to sort of break away from a specific grasses and talk about why, uh, what happens during the year with most grasses, because we've already talked about this wonderful fall color. So most grasses, the seasonal changes, if you will, say in spring, uh, early spring, late winter, the grasses have not been doing much. As a matter of fact, you may have already trimmed them down and there's just bare earth there, uh, or rather a uh, plant sleeping underground. We shouldn't call it bare earth because there's something happening. But in the spring, when it warms up, you'll start to see those grasses, those clumps coming out of the earth, pushing up their stems, and then they elongate. And many of these grasses throughout spring and summer, they may be green, like we've mentioned with the prairie blues, maybe a nice blue color. So as we go through spring and summer, we've got all different shades. We're going to talk about a grass later that actually is very purple in the summer. So this season of change from spring to summer, some grasses enrich their spring, uh, summer color as we progress through summer, so you've got this great change. Then most grasses at some point are going to bloom, and they have different shape blossoms, plumes. Usually we call them plumes for grasses for whatever reason. Some bloom early in the maybe spring, some bloom in the summer, and some may bloom uh, late, like we've talked about with muley grass in the fall. So think about that season of change as the grass gets bigger and as it grows, it's going to start blooming, and that itself can be a nice uh, addition to the garden. Then as we go to the fall and winter, I hate for people to cut down their grasses in the fall uh, for plant health purposes, but mainly because they add something to the garden in the fall and winter. Their foliage may not last and look gorgeous all winter long, but for most of pretty much all fall and most of the winter, you have something present there. And usually uh, by the time we get to winter, those grass blades, those leaves and stems, they're different shades of brown, different shades of bronze, different shades of sort of yellow and orange maybe. And so uh, several, I think a couple of years ago, I talked about how in the winter, these grasses can help keep some life in the garden, even though they're completely dried out, those leaves are not growing anymore. We can look at this as, yes, those leaves are decaying, but it's a beautiful decay. You know, when we get frost and freezes, little ice droplets and uh, ice crystals can form on those dry leaves, great for 
tight up close photography if you want to take pictures of little snowflakes on your foliage or whatnot. But regardless, don't chop down these grasses too late, too early. Let's enjoy these blossoms, uh, dry blossoms, dry leaves as long as we can because grasses definitely have seasonal changes and there is something in the garden uh, with, for grasses all year long. Now, let's talk about another native grass that I do like. Uh, it's bigger. Uh, it's called Virginia switchgrass. So we've talked about some small ones that may be three, four feet, but Virginia switchgrass is probably going to range from three to six feet, maybe a bit taller if it really loves where it is. But it's sort of, when it blooms, it's got these sort of fiber optic blossoms too that really have these sort of, uh, the flowers are on the tips of these very slender stems. And they're almost these round little balls, beautiful, just beautiful plant. But there are a couple varieties here. There is the Prairie Sky and the Shenandoah. Now, Prairie Sky gets its name because it is a very blue grass all summer long. So it's big, it's loud because it's going to take some space and that blue color is really going to stand out. I've got one planted around my pool. I've got it near a... Um, uh, a hibiscus, of course, that hibiscus has really big leaves, so we got a great contrast with the little leaves of the grass, big leaves and big flowers of the uh, hibiscus, but then the color. That hibiscus leaf is a very dark purple, and it's sitting right beside this very blue prairie sky Virginia switchgrass. It looks gorgeous. And then the Shenandoah is wonderful because the Shenandoah uh, is going to have some great fall color. They both have wonderful fall color, but Shenandoah is just this vibrant purple, vibrant, dark, rich, that autumn, autumnal color you would expect in the fall. Definitely the Shenandoah gives it to you. And now, so folks, we do have a lot more to talk about when it comes to ornamental grasses. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, sort of taking a trip to the ocean where we find river oats and sea oats and also talking about designing with these grasses. So hang on tight. We'll be right back with more New Southern Garden. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to really to the second half of today's program here on New Southern Garden. We are talking about some of our fine feathered friends in the landscape. I shouldn't say feathered. I'm not talking about birds. We are talking about feathery plants, particularly ornamental grasses. Those plants that have very strap-like, thin, just really feathery plant, feathery leaves. And of course, many of them bloom with beautiful beautiful colors like the pink blossoms of the muley grass and then of course we've talked about some plants with great fall color great fall color that's one thing we cannot forget when it comes to native grass or ornamental grasses is that fall color is something we should look for when we're talking about grasses and there's plenty more grasses to come. I, I do want to talk about a plant that uh, is 
I think it's beloved by many people, we just don't know a lot about it. You see, there's this, the, the last native grass I want to talk about today on our grass discussion is called Chasmanthium. Chasmanthium. <laughs> now, commonly, it's got a lot of names. Inland sea oats, Indian wood oats, wild oats, river oats, flathead oats, upland oats, upland sea oats. So we just walked from the woods to the rivers to the sea, and this plant is found all over the southeast. It is uh, not a super large grass. It's maybe two to four foot tall, and it's clump forming. It does clump, which all these grasses we're talking about are clump formers. And clumping is good in the landscape because clumping means they're not running. And if a grass runs, you're going to have to keep it in check. But a clump is easier to maintain and deal with. Now, this is that grass that you see if you go down to the coast, whether you're in Florida or uh, Georgia coast, uh, stretching over Louisiana, up to the North Carolina, South Carolina, you will see these clump-forming perennial grasses that, depending on where you are, it may have a different name. All of them are called the chasmanthium, but of course it may be considered a river oat, it may be considered, considered a sea oat, uh, but these are those plants, of course, that do grow on dunes, uh, they can grow in some shade by rivers in the woods, it's very versatile, so for your landscape, this may be a great plant to use. Now, they do have, the, of course, those very large and drooping oat-like flower spikes or spikelets uh, that come out of those arching slender branches. Now, the leaves are fairly blue-green. I don't know. Uh, I don't see a lot of blue-green in, but it just depends on where you are probably in the southeast if, if you see some wild. Uh, but regardless, uh, usually those leaves turn a very bright yellow-gold in sunny sites, uh, but particularly in the fall. That, that's what we're looking for. Sunnier sites are going to stimulate a great yellow fall color. Now, in the garden, it can be considered low maintenance because it doesn't take a lot in the shade. Um, but those beautiful oat-like seed heads we're talking about, they probably need to be removed by the end of the season. This is one grass I would recommend because they can create a community if you will. They can create a community in just a short period of time if you allow those seeds to fall to the earth. So keep that in mind, that the sea or river oat that is native here, it's a great native plant, but it does spread by seed pretty readily if you allow it. Now, if you've got a big area and you just love that look that you see in the ocean or around the uh, ocean, um, Feel free to let it go because it's it's native. It's it's just aggressive. It's just aggressive. Um, with that being said, it is a great plant if you've got a bank. Of course, here in the Piedmont, uh, we've got plenty of slopes and plenty of banks, if you will, that may need uh, plants that are going to help prevent erosion. Um, 
This is definitely one, a great native plant that you may consider using as erosion control. Again, if you let the seed stalks dry out or remove them from the plant, uh, that will reduce the amount of babies you will have. But you can also use those dried seed stalks in flower arrangements in vases or bringing them in the house. Uh, of course, if they're dry, uh, you may mix them with some other dry flowers, lavender, uh, whatever you do. If you dry flowers, great uh, grass for drying because they hold together very well. Now, with all that being said, that, that sort of ends the native grasses that I wanted to talk about today. But I do want to break away and talk a little bit about designing your landscape with grasses. Because the question is, you know, they're, they're not like a shrub. They're not like a flowering perennial, even though they are. Uh, how do I use them? You know, they don't have those branches, the, the stems that we would expect a shrub to have. So it's just a different kind of plant. How should I use this to get the most impact possible? Well, there are three key factors of design uh, that I think grasses play the most effective parts in. First of all, when you're using grasses in your perennial beds or with shrubs, remember that they are a source of architecture or structure in the garden. You know, architecture and structure in a design is something that we don't often think about, but there's got to be some factors. There's got to be some kind of material in your design, in your bed, whether it's the front of your house or the side of your house, the back of your house. There's got to be some kind of element that gives you a sense of structure. And things that return year after year do give you that structure. As a matter of fact, you may use a, a specimen grass, one of these, or you may use a grouping of them, that then you plant other things around. So you are structuring the rest of your planting around the architecture that is your ornamental grasses. Now, the reason I like to say they're, they're structural is because some of them can be larger uh, when it comes to herbaceous perennials, when it comes to perennial plants. So they're bigger. Usually things that are bigger are good to use as a structural point. But then they're sort of, to some degree... Uh, if you allow those stems and leaves to persist through fall and winter, even though they're not green anymore, they're brown and tan and different shades of bronze, like we've talked about on the, the last segment, but even though they don't look like spring, they still add winter structure. So a plant, uh, say a a hydrangea that loses its leaves, yeah, you've got stems there. But with the grasses, you have this sort of up-out-of-the-ground fountain-like look. And that can persist all winter long. So it's not just a seasonal structural component. It's also a component that lasts really all year long, as long as you allow those dry stems to linger in the landscape. Now, the next and maybe obvious Maybe it's pretty obvious if you think about it, but one way we can use grasses in our designs is as a textural component, using grasses to contrast texture. Now, we've talked a lot about texture on this program because we don't often think about it when we're playing with plants. <laughs> when we're playing with plants, we always think about the color of things. We think about the flowers, but when it comes to texture of a plant, remember, Plants that have really big leaves have a coarse texture. They're very rugged. They're shaggy-like. Then you have the fine leaves. 
the thin leaves, the, the skinny leaves, whatever you want to call them, those are the fine textured plants. And whenever we put a coarse textured plant right smack dab beside a fine textured plant, something magical happens. We create what is called contrast, and it make, they make each other look even better than they do on their own. Having something fine beside something coarse, something big leaves, something little leaves right beside each other, subconsciously to our human eyes, makes them look better together. And so grasses, because most grasses have very skinny, long leaves that are quite fine in texture, anytime we put them beside something with big leaves, say gardenias, hydrangeas, uh, the list goes on and on. I talked earlier about hibiscus with its big leaves and big flowers. Having those fine leaves sitting right beside something with big leaves looks really great. And of course, that textural component can persist into winter as long as you leave those grass, dry grass stems in the wintertime. Now, the last designing principle that I'd like to bring up today about designing with grasses is going to be the color, of course. Grasses play a wonderful uh, hand in color in the landscape. We've already talked about that with some of these grasses that we were discussing. Well, first of all, think about it. The muley grass. The muley grass is, is sort of blue-green foliage all summer long, but really its color comes out in the fall when it blooms with those pink fluffy blossoms, cotton candy-like blooms. Now, that is a wonderful color to have in the fall that may look great with yellows or may, maybe white if you want sort of that soft pink and white scheme going on. But regardless, think about the color of the blossoms, just like the prairie blues blossom, which is a deep purple. Now, they're not super showy like, say, a purple verbena flower, but the deep purple plume on a prairie blues, little blue stem grass can add a layer of purple to your landscape. Then, of course, we're not just talking about the blooms on these plants because many of them are white, uh, maybe tan-colored. They may not be all of that distinctive uh, like the mooley grass or the prairie blues, blue stem. But then we've got to think about the color of the foliage. And like the mooley grass, the little blue stems, prairie blues, the prairie sky, Virginia switchgrass, all of these grasses have a beautiful ashy blue color. We've already talked about their specific characteristics, but just in general, when you're designing with grasses, think about the color that grass will be in the summer and use plants that are blooming in the summer to contrast or complement those colors as well. Work that together for summer. And don't forget then that after summer is over, the grasses, they may have a wonderful fall color. We've talked about some of those, like the blaze little blue stems. The blaze little blue stem is going to be this hot, uh, sort of burgundy, purple to red, maybe a touch of orange. So you've got this column of upright stems turning this vibrant uh, autumn, autumnal <laughs> autumn color. Then, like the prairie blues, turns a bronze orange. The Shenandoah switchgrass, wonderful fall color. Uh, its name, Shenandoah, kind of comes back from that um, out west feel. It's going to be very um, 
pastoral with its color, but also with it, with the way it looks like the prairies of, uh, of, of the uh, out west. So regardless, think about the color and the seasonal color that these grasses can give you. Now, we've talked a lot about green grasses. We've talked a lot about blue grasses, uh, but we're going to have to go to a quick break soon. And I've got one more group of plants to talk about, one more group of ornamental grasses, and that's the fountain grasses. And there is one fountain grass that I think you are just absolutely going to love because she provides color. Speaking of color, she provides color in the summer that not a lot of plants do, and that is a deep bloody burgundy purple real purple so when we get back we're going to talk about some of the uh, fountain grasses and then we're going to talk about maintaining and how to upkeep an ornamental grass season to season so when we get back hang on tight we've got a lot to talk about Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Gang, well, that's, uh, of course, my daughter, Eden Rose, encouraging you to give ornamental grasses a go in your landscape. Usually when we talk about grasses, we think lawn. Lawn grasses, Bermuda grass, maybe even grasses that are weeds or act like weeds. But there are a wonderful group of grasses that we've been talking about today, many groups, that work very well in the landscape. And remember that these plants give you many great characteristics. They can provide structure and architecture in your beds. They can contrast well with the texture of plants and the color of plants. And of course, uh, all the ones we're talking about today are perennial in the south. So it is a uh, wonderful plant, wonderful plants to use. We've talked about some native grasses and we've talked about, well, yeah, we just finished our discussion on native grasses. So I do want to get to one group of grasses uh, that is not necessarily native, but they do work well in the landscape if you choose them appropriately. And that's the fountain grasses, the penicetums, if you will. Now, these grasses, there's plenty of different species, varieties, and types. Um, But the first one I want to mention is white fountain grass. Now, white fountain grass in some parts of uh, North America is considered invasive because they do have this terrible problem of reseeding uh, pretty quickly, kind of like those sea oats I talked about. But again, the sea oats are from here. The river oats are from here. So if they reseed, it's uh, more appropriate than having a foreign invader reseed, right? (laughs) 
But there are plenty of white fountain grasses now that have been bred and been selected to not uh, reseed or really be sterile. So they can't reseed. But all of these white fountain grasses, now they can range in sizes from two, three feet, maybe up to six foot, um, depending on the variety. So you do want to look into the variety you're using. They have very fringy foliage, very fine, thin strap-like foliage, very, very, very fine texture. Uh, fairly green. There are probably some other, there are, there's a variety we're going to talk about that is very dark in foliage, but this white fountain grass, usually very green. And then uh, throughout summer, you get, these sort of uh, like, not quite like a cattail, uh, but they're almost like elongated pom-poms. That's a good way to describe them. Elongated pom-pom flowers on these very slender stems. So right from the center of the grass, you've got multiple flowering stems that come up skyward into the air. And on the tip, you've got these beautiful, very white and fringy-like flower uh, spikes. So that is one good reason. It provides a white color, but a very soft texture. Now that is white fountain grass, and there are plenty of one variety called Hamlin, which you may be able to find. Uh, but regardless, uh, it is a really pretty grass to use in the landscape. Now, this next grass is another fountain grass. It's a penicetum, but it is a, a, a wonderful, it's a larger grass, all right? We're going to end on a larger grass today. When I say larger, you would expect maybe the height of a person, four to six foot tall. Uh, they Of all the grasses we've talked about today, this penicetum, this grass, has the, the widest blade uh, or widest leaf of any of them, and it does come up and Those leaves come up in the air and then fall over like a fountain. But this grass is the Princess Caroline. Princess Caroline uh, fountain grass. And her foliage is very dark. It is the darkest grass that I have ever seen. Um, It's not too known for its flowering. Every time I see it, because we're growing it at the nursery, of course, but uh, we've had it there. We have plenty of it right now if you want to come check us out at Linear Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia. But regardless, I've never really seen it in bloom, and I haven't seen a photo of it in bloom. So I'm not sure what the description is on that uh, just yet, but we'll see maybe by the end of this year if it does try to produce a bloom. Now, if I recall correctly, this particular penicetum is hardy from like zone 7 to 10. So if you're in zone 6 and you're pushing up on the upper upper end of the southeast, it may or may not be hardy in your area, but it's okay. You can use it in a container. You can pull the container into a crawl space or a garage over winter and then allow it to be put back out into the landscape. You can dig it out of the landscape and store it or keep it in a container and that way you don't have to do all the extra digging. Now another reason that I really just the main reason not another but the main reason this grass is so wonderful is because of that dark color that the foliage gives. Wonderful burgundy purple. Now some people may call it red, but, you know, it's sort of red and, and purple in the landscape are sometimes uh, confused or just mixed up, but w- we get the point. It's, it sort of gives us that loripedlum. You know, we've talked about loripedlums, which are shrubs that branch, and they're evergreen, so they give you a rich purple, and that's about the only plant we're using now that gives a great purple all year. But of course, Princess Caroline is deciduous. She goes underground for winter, so you don't have that purple all year. 
but you have it most of the year. Once the leaves come out, of course, they've got um, uh, they've got sort of a green shade, and then when summer gets here, beautiful purple. Absolutely love that. So that's Princess Caroline and White Fountain Grass. Uh, both of those you may want to look into to mix in with some of your other uh, other blooming plants. All right. The last little bit of information I want to leave you with today is now that we've planted all these wonderful ornamental grasses, how do you maintain them? Some people are intimidated by growing grasses because they think uh, the maintenance may be difficult. Uh, but there's really three things we do regularly. That's trimming, fertilizing, and dividing. First of all, the trimming. Like I've already encouraged you, don't trim these grasses until late winter. That is really when they need to be trimmed for their plant health, but also because those dry stems can be enjoyed throughout the winter months. When you trim them, you can literally mow them to the ground. You do not have to leave any portion of the grass uh, above the crown. So if you've got uh, the crown, if the crown hopefully is planted below the earth, you can saw these plants down to the ground if you'd like. Some people leave an inch or two above the ground just as a buffer maybe, but it's not necessary. Uh, it's just that the same concept of mowing your grass, mowing your lawn is what's going on here. The reason grasses can grow the way they, or rather the reason grasses can be mowed the way they can is because they all have that center growing point protected down in the crown. As long as you don't cut into the crown or damage the crown, which again is that area between the root and the shoot, then your grass will be safe to cut as low as you want. Now, fertilizing is going to be important because grasses, most all plants uh, that are grass-like or in the grass family for sure, they love high nitrogen. So be sure to fertilize well as soon as it warms up or as soon as the grass starts pushing up out of the ground. And then you can keep doing that regularly. Giving them high nitrogen is wonderful. Uh, Well-balanced fertilizer for sure at some point. But if you ever want to give your grass, if it's looking dingy, looking yellow, give it some extra nitrogen. Then dividing. You will have to divide occasionally, but we're talking every few years. And it's just as easy as digging the clump out of the ground, taking a shovel and dividing that clump into fours or however many numbers you can get it into. So today, folks, uh, we have talked all about ornamental grasses because I think they play a critical part in a wonderful plant design. They give you texture, they give you structure, they give you all kinds of color, and they are definitely not just a two-season or three-season plant, they are an all-year plant multi-seasonal plants so check out more ornamental grasses and check out new southern garden at newsoutherngarden.com and of course i'm nathan wilson for wrwh 93.9 fm hoping you stay well and grow well see you next week give it a go Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.